Wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. I think I'm on, nope, yeah? There I am, hi. Thank you for that, for that welcome. As uh, Taylor said, yeah, you are family, and this place feels like home. And every time we come back to visit, just a visit, and then uh, every time we get the opportunity to come and serve in, in some aspect or another, um, it, it's, fun, it, it's home for us, and, and we feel your love, and we know that, that we're praying for the work that, that Calvary continues to do, and as I look around the, the sanctuary, I see, a, I see a lot of new faces. That's so encouraging because it's just a testament to the work that Calvary Community Church continues to do in, in its community and its outreach around the world. But I also see a lot of, a lot of old friends. And that just uh, brings me back to this place of, of remembering how special this place is and, um, and uh, the walk you've been going with with Karen and I in this, this journey of healing. And some of you know our story, some of you know our testimony, um, but that, that journey has accumulation over the last nine years um, through our healing, through my um, own journey of recovery and coming to this place of talking about what we're going to talk about today, and that is renewing the mind. So we're going to look in... Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up and kind of park in there. We're going to kind of center around that verse 2. And it says this. It says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So Paul was talking to the church at Rome, and he's like, hey, there is a process here in the, the growing of our faith. And it starts with not conforming to the patterns of this world. So over the last nine years, um, and our continued growth and journey, um, I've been in this process of healing and restoration, but also going back to school and specifically in the area of biblical counseling as it pertains to the neurochemistry of the brain as it relates to addiction. So I'm going to share a little bit about that with you today, and we have to... Um, Look at one thing here. So as it relates to addiction, what do we know about addiction? Well, as I look across the room and I look at everybody, I would say that all of us are addicts. And you might say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not an addict. Well, let's break it down a little bit. What does the Bible say about addiction? Well, it says it's a bondage. So we're all in bondage to something. And the Bible makes that very clear on one level or another. Um, but really what separates uh, the, the, the levels is the consequences. How do my, my coping behaviors and what I'm using to cope with life, to function, and the consequences that come along with that and how that affects other people? Because some of those consequences can be pretty destructive. And if I took a poll, a lot of you would know somebody that has been destroyed or family members that have been destroyed by somebody else's addiction. Is that true? Yes, okay, so another thing we know about addiction, Paul tells us where the battlefield lies. And if we don't know the battle, we know the battle, but we also don't know how to do the battle, we have to look at where, where is the battle. And Paul, Paul tells us where that is. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5, it says, though, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So as we take every thought captive, 
That's where it tells us that the battlefield is. But what is the battle against? We'll back up a sentence before that. It says that the battle is against the knowledge of God. So we have to look back at Romans 12 too. It says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. But if you turn on the news, what are the patterns of this world? Pretty destructive, pretty destructive. You know, we, we see where God is not. We've taken God out of the schools. We've taken God out of politics. We've taken God out of the courts. And in some cases, you're even reading that God is getting taken out of the church. That's very, very dangerous. So the battlefield is in our mind, but specifically about and against the knowledge of God. Um, I was reading an article uh, a couple weeks ago, and some school in South Dakota, I believe it is, actually put In God We Trust back into the school. So that's a good start. But it also has to start with us individually that we can transform and renew our mind to the knowledge of God that we can have this new behavior because we have to take action. And I'll talk to you a little bit about that. And I think I am dying. Not really. My mic is. Okay, good. So this is going to be difficult because I'm going to have to be balancing between be able to read this and use my marker right on the whiteboard. But I think if you hang with me, we'll, we'll survive this. So renewing our minds. Why do we need to renew our minds? Well, Paul says, if we back up a few chapters uh, to chapter 7, verse 15, he says, hey, I don't do the things that I should be doing or the things that are even good, but I find myself continuing to do the things over here that I hate. Did you hear that? Anybody relate to that? I, I know I should be doing this over here, but I don't do it. And I, I choose to do the things that I hate. Well, why does that happen? Well, in, in, in our ministry, in Hope for Purity Ministries, as we grow and expand, we, we plant this seed of truth. And there is a formula that we use, and it is this. It says that our beliefs, we're going to put our beliefs right over here. Our beliefs create emotions and those emotions can be triggers and drive our behaviors. And at the end of our behaviors are consequences. So our beliefs create emotions which drive behavior. So remember that as we move forward. So I've got this picture up on the screen. This picture is of a little kid driving the car. Well, this little kid is this man's inner child. It is not his son, it is himself. His inner child is driving the car, and wives sometimes, I know my wife has with me, said, you are acting like a child in a candy store, throwing a tantrum because I'm not giving you what you want. Well, what's going on is our little child inside is taking over, so we, we, we tell guys that, hey, think of your feelings like this. Your feelings are like little kids. You can't let them drive the car, and you can't shove them in the trunk. Okay, unfortunately, I don't have a picture of a kid in a trunk because I think law enforcement would come to my house and wonder why I have pictures of kids in trunks in my computer. So, feelings are like kids. You can't let them drive the car and you can't shove them in the trunk. Good. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to draw a picture up here. And as we move forward, this picture is going to describe exactly what's going on in our brains. So I'm going to draw a picture of our brains and what's going on in... Our beliefs create emotions which drive behaviors. Now, if you're a neuroscientist or a neurosurgeon, um, don't come up to me after the service and tell me how bad I butchered this because this is just in layman's term just to give you the principle of what's going on in our brain. Okay, so right up at the top of our brain is our prefrontal cortex. Good. 
I've got some people that are following, understanding prefrontal cortex. Ray, about a month ago, was talking about this as we had a discussion, and he was describing, um, you know, kids with no brakes. You know, that's why we don't give uh, young adults um, the ability to rent a car until they're 25 because their prefrontal cortex hasn't been fully developed. So the prefrontal cortex is our brakes. There's a lot more going on in the prefrontal cortex, but let's just use this analogy that there are brakes. It's our ability to stop. So here's another picture up on the screen. This picture is of, unfortunately, um, my wife's, our very first brand new car. So this car's name is Matilda. My wife loved her dearly until she got towed away. So three days before we left to come here, um, my, my daughter, she just gotten her license and her battery died in her car and I said, that's fine, just take Matilda. And so she took Matilda and that is the result of my generosity and the end of my generosity at the same time. <laughs> but this is describing perfectly because she's 16 years old and she has no brakes. And we'll talk about how do we help our children put on the brakes, and we have to do that. Well, in that picture, what you didn't see is we have a personalized license plate, and it's R-Z-L-I-E-N-T, resilient. Well, through our healing process, my wife has shown immense resiliency, but unfortunately, Matilda has not. <laughs> she didn't quite make it through. All right, you guys tracking? Okay, good. All right, so what do we say? Feelings are like little kids. They can't drive the car, don't shove them in the trunk. Now, in this, let's just go on a rabbit trail here just for a brief moment. So if our kids don't have any breaks in their brains, um, it says in Proverbs 22.6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So train up a child in, his way, in the way he should go. So parents... You know, specifically dads. And if you're a single mom, my heart breaks for you because I know the double duty you have to do in walking this out in your life. But what we have to do as parents is model, we have to instruct, and we have to discipline. So there's an old um, seminary professor um, from the 1900s. His name is A.W. Pink. If anybody's ever read Arthur Pink, I would highly recommend go read some of his work. And his work is just now starting to come out and gain steam, but usually like most people, they don't get recognized during their time. But he has some profound truths in his writing, and he says this in regards to that Proverbs 22.6 of training up our ch children. He said to parents, he said, the parent is not only to instruct his children in the ways of holiness, but is himself to walk before them in those ways and show by his practice and demeanor what a pleasant and profitable thing it is to be regulated by the divine law. So if we said we have to model, it's about modeling, instructing, and discipline. We look at that and we break it down and it says walk before them in those ways. We walk before our kids and how to live their lives. We don't say do as I say, not as I do. We have to model the behavior. And then it goes on to show by practice and demeanor. That's the instruction. We have to be engaged in relationship and communication of what is right and what is wrong. 
And then it goes on, it says, to be regulated by the divine law. And that's disciplining. We need to stick to the truth and be disciplined true to it. So in my, in my practice, I have a lot of parents that come to me and they say, Jason, hey, what is the perfect age or what age should we give our kid a smartphone? And everybody said, never. Yes, never. Why never? Because they have no brakes. And what you're essentially doing is you're giving them the keys to the Ferrari with no brakes. You're giving them access to the world. Don't conform to the patterns of the world. And if you're not modeling, instructing, and disciplining in this, and knowing everything that our kids are doing and locking down and restricting only what we want them to have based upon what? The knowledge of God. All right, let's move forward. I'm going to go back to the brain here, and I'm going to paint a picture. So the picture is this. In the brain, we've got our left hemisphere over here. We've got our right hemisphere over here. Uh, our occipital lobe, we won't worry about that. Up here, we've got our eyeballs coming out the top of the front of our head. We've got our ears down over here. All right, and we've got a ladybug. <laughs> Perfect. All right, let's break this down. So left hemisphere processes logic, our analytical reasoning, logic. Good. And so it thinks in terms of facts. So remember that old TV show, Just the Facts, ma'am? Good, facts. So we're thinking in bullet points over here. Everybody see that? Good. All right. So right hemisphere. This is our relational brain. Relational brain. It thinks in terms of feelings, not emotions. Emotions are something different. We'll talk about that. And it thinks in terms of pictures. All right. So more broader concepts. Now there's one other little piece in here that we need to address. And that is where I come in into this process of recovery and healing. What do we say? The formula? Our beliefs create emotions which drive behaviors. All that lives right here. This is our limbic system, L-I-M-B-I-C. We've got our amygdala, we've got our nucleus incumbens, we've got the hippocampus, There's a couple of little things in there and it kind of sits in the center of our brain and um, evolutionists call it the survival brain. But you know what, God put it there for a reason. Um, this is our fight, flight, and freeze. This is our ability to survive in dangerous circumstances. So, let me paint a picture and Adam, if he's somewhere around here, Adam is going to be my guinea pig. So Adam is just going up to a walk up to Mount Peak. Anybody been up there recently? Up in Enumclaw, you know, a thousand foot hike up to the top, beautiful view. Well, he's going up the trail, and as he goes along the trail, he comes across a snake. What do you do? Just that. And you jump to the side. Snake. Snakes are scary. Snakes are dangerous, and my wife is sweating right now because I'm talking about snakes. So um, he comes across a snake, and he has this response. So it sends a signal down to his limbic system, the amygdala kick in, and it creates a response of, through the feelings, of fear. Let me spell that correctly. Fear. Good. So I have this fear response to this snake. Well... Adam is a healthy guy, 
and his brain is functioning correctly. And because of that, he's got billions of neuron connections between the left and right hemisphere and all other places. And what happens is his left brain says, whoa, 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 Mr. Feelings. Hey, I saw something you didn't see. And because my right brain is relational, it says, what did you see? I want to talk to you about this. And so it says, well, take a look back, look again. And so we all look back and we take a moment and it's just a stick. Good, who came to this last service? Okay, so there's a stick there. It's not, a, it's not a snake anymore, it's just a stick. So what does a stick tell us? Well, it's not dangerous, so what my brain is doing is reasoning. It should be talking to itself and reasoning through my experiences, and everything that I described to you should happen that fast. That's how fast our brain works, okay? Good, well, let's paint another picture. Let's say, Adam decided to come out to Colorado and visit me, and we go hiking up in the Rocky Mountains. And on that hike, he is not paying attention where he's walking, and he steps on a rattlesnake. And that rattlesnake jumps up, bites him in the leg, fills his leg full of poison, and I have to drag him down the hill because our car is two miles down at the bottom of the, the foothill. And by the time we get him to the hospital, he's almost dead because the venom is starting to shut down his organs. He ends up in the ICU for about 10 days, but he starts to come to. And fortunately, thank God he survives and he's back with us today. And we're all happy for that, right? Good, yes, yes, go Adam. All right, so now what has happened? What has happened is he had an experience with the snake that created in him, clinically, we call it a trauma. And what trauma does is it takes the experience, a dangerous situation, and it implants a memory, and it bypasses, and it actually severs my neural pathways between my left and my right hemisphere. So in that severing, I lose my ability to reason. And so he responds in fear every time he encounters a snake. Well, I'm a nice guy and I'm in town and I give Adam a call. I say, hey, let's go for a walk. He's like, where? <laughs> I don't know, you want to go up to Mount Peak? No, 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 no. I finally talk him into maybe going down the river, the Puyallup River Trail. And so we meet down there and, uh, and, and we go on this walk and then uh, we cross the path of a snake. Well, what's Adam's new response? He turns and he books it back to the car. He jumps in the car. He rolls up the window, locks the door, and he's white-knuckling the steering wheel ready to burn out of there. Okay, so that's his new belief system that snakes will kill me. So snakes, snakes are very, 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 very dangerous. Good, because he developed a trauma based upon past experiences. Everybody tracking? All right, now we add one more step to this piece, and this is where... I come in, well, I come in and I notice that it was just a stick. I pick up the stick and I chase him back to the car and I start hitting the window with it. Hey, Adam, it's just a stick, it's just a stick. And he's like, no, it wasn't, it was a snake. And he would not let me in and he's about ready to start the car because he's starting to get angry. 
So the response to fear when it's escalated is anger. Because in his belief system, he's developed a new belief system and I'm showing him the stick and I'm trying to make him believe it's a stick at all costs. And so he has this new belief system that says all sticks are snakes. That's a lie, right? That's not the truth, because truth lives up here in my prefrontal cortex. That's where Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Okay, that's the truth. But I've developed this new, new lie in my limbic system. All sticks are snakes, so I develop a lie. And there's other lies that happen in our lives according to our past and maybe even our current situations that we take with us into the future. Okay, so here's where I come in. So growing up, the first 10 years of my life, I bounced around in foster care from house to 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 family to family to family um, about every three to six months until I found myself into a really good loving family, which are now my adopted family, and most of you know who they are. They're sitting right over here. I'm not gonna look over there because I'm not gonna cry because they're so awesome. So what I didn't develop was this ability to be in relationship because that happens the first three years of our lives, okay? And I didn't develop feelings and based upon some of the experiences that I went through, I developed a lie that says people are dangerous. I can't trust anyone. Okay, so I've got all these lies that I'm building up in my limbic system. And that belief system now, internally for me, is creating emotion in me in a certain circumstance that causes a behavior. So that emotion in me is now I'm back with Adam on the river trail and he's getting angry at me. What do I do with anger? if I don't know how to process it. Well, I shut down. Yeah, that creates fear in me, but, but I lose the ability to be relational and what I start to do is I rise up and I defend and justify even more. I defend and justify even more and I start getting mad at him and just showing him the stick because he's not seeing what I'm seeing and we're in conflict together. Now, this principle plays out in our marriage relationships every single second because we all have something in our past and our lives that have developed a limbic lie and I have disconnected from relationship and my feelings which produce fear, anger, I defend and justify and for some of us what I had to go through is that I was the snake in the relationship. So my wife developed this lie that all sticks are snakes. And it only took six years to overcome that lie with a miracle from God every single day. Everybody still with me? Okay, good, 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 perfect, perfect. All right, so in this whole crazy, crazy, crazy cycle, and this is what hell wants to do, he wants to divide us plant lies in our hearts and our mind to destroy relationships. So going back to our beliefs, creating emotions and feelings which drive our 
behaviors that have consequences, um, we have to know one thing, that knowledge, knowledge doesn't equal understanding. So I might know all these things. I might know that sticks aren't snake, but when I'm in the memory of the trigger of the emotion, it creates a response in me and I behave according to the lie. So what I do is I come over here and I've got to sit in the behavior. I have to learn from the behavior. So we're going to back our way out of this and see how we get to this place of renewing our minds. So how do we gain that understanding? Well, we have to back up a little bit, and it tells us in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4, it says, Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. What's the tribulations? Well, the tribulations are over here. That's the consequences of my behaviors. I walk through that. There's a book. It's, a, it's called 12 Traits of the Great. And in that book, the first trait is describing specifically what we need to do over here. So if you want to be a great person, and great leaders know this naturally, but that first step is to take responsibility. Don't defend. Don't justify. I don't have to be right. Do you want to be right or do you want to be in relationship? It starts with the relationship first to, so we can come together in this place of reasoning. Then the next part is knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. What is perseverance? Well, if after the first year of sitting in this process of going through my tribulation and rebuilding trust, I come back here and I start to doing some internal emotional work. Perseverance is just simply coming down here and sitting in my feelings. I'm sitting in it. I'm letting God do a work in my life. But what I have done over here is I have set up boundaries and I've allowed people to speak in my life to keep me from the past behaviors and those consequences that continue to destroy me. So persevere and sit in it. So perseverance creates character. Character is coming back here and being in this process of dealing with the lies. Because our belief system needs to be transformed unto what? Unto the knowledge of God. So don't conform to the patterns of this world. But we surrender to the knowledge of God. And that is why we live in the word of God in our Bible. So daily be doing this, but there's more than just doing that because James tells us, be doers of the word, not just hearers. Because if we just hear the word, we can just come and sit at the foot of the cross, sit at the mercies of God, but we don't change. Why do we need to change? I'm pretty comfortable just sitting over here. This is a good place to be. Yeah, God will let us sit there. But that's not as best for us. Because if I sit over there and I don't change, I find myself in circumstances where I'm living according to my past. So Romans 12, 2, don't conform to the patterns of the world. So this is the first step. As Ray talked about a few weeks ago, he talked about the diet for the mind, diet for the brain. And I love that because what he's talking about is a fast we're fasting from the things of this world that bring us satisfaction and pleasure and we die to those things 
in light of relationship. God wants us to be in relationship with him and he wants us to be in relationship with others. But if I keep going down this path, you know what, it's at the end of consequences. At the end of consequences is shame. Do you know what shame does? Makes me back up over here. Happens again, back up a little further. I keep backing up into the darkness. Darkness creates isolation. So we have to do this in community. We have to do this in relationship. So let's go ahead and turn to the last part of Romans 12, verse 2. The first part, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So those last three words, good, acceptable, and perfect, what do they tell us? Well, they're not three different things. It's not good things and then acceptable things it's, or and perfect things. What they tell us is that um, when we think of good, it's a way of describing the will of God. And acceptable is just another way of describing that in light of what? Of how God wants us to be in this process of, you know what this is called from a theological standpoint? It's called sanctification. Sanctification for our perfection. Anybody perfect in here? Oh, there we go. You guys are a lively crowd. I like that. Okay, yes, we're not perfect. Thank you. I'm right here with you. We're on. We're on the same boat together. Let's just keep it from sinking. All right. So what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves, what is good? What is good? Well, in that, we discover what is good, and when we do, what's our responsibility to it? Well. Just take the next right step because we'll have guys over here all the time and ladies that find themselves in the consequences of their, of their behavior that they promise themselves over and over and over and over and over again, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. And each time I say I'm not going to do that, it produces and creates more shame that becomes overwhelming. They can't deal with that. And we need to put a backstop to that shame and instill some value that they are loved. And then after that, all you have to do is take the next right step and we help you along that process as well. So firstly, um, don't conform. And that's just about talking about morality according to the world standards or morality according to God's standards. And then next, we let's look at the acceptable. So Paul, he's going further and he adds the word acceptable. And what he's saying there is what is acceptable to God? Don't conform to the patterns of the world, not what's acceptable to the world, but what's acceptable to God. And he, and he starts that out and he prefaces it in verse one and he says, hey guys, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How am I living in my behaviors? How am I behaving? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So then Paul goes on and he keeps talking as we go back. He says, we should be transformed by the renewal of our minds to discern and do what is the will of God. But I've built up this belief system that keeps me trapped and I can't discern much of anything when I'm in a triggering emotional moment. So that's why he says the perfect will of God. Well, what does that tell us? What's Paul saying? Well, 
he said, what's pleasing to him, but, but he's also saying that his goal for us is perfection. Perfection? Wait a second, we just said that we're not perfect and God wants me to be perfect? Well, he does. Because we look back at Matthew 5, 48, and it says, you, therefore, must be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so we get ourselves into this process of renewing our mind because that's the only way to get perfection, by the renewing of our mind for perfection. But thank God there is a caveat because if I was just doing this just to be perfect, I'm doomed because I fall into the cycle of perfection then of having to do good things to earn God's approval. And we can never do that. How do we get there? Well, we have to look back at the first 11 chapters of Roman and, and, and what that is, is that's the banner under which we walk out Romans 12. And that banner is God's mercies. It's his mercies. And where do we find God's mercies? You see, it's God's mercies in Christ that saves us in spite of our imperfections. So the only place to find God's mercies is at the foot of the cross. So now we're back to the cross again. You see how this cycle works? I'm at the foot of the cross as mercies. We keep coming back to the cross. For what? For renewal that we can have the motivation, strength, and energy to get back into this process of sanctification. So it's a continual loop. We don't just stay in one place or the other because one over here is about creating a behavior that I have to be perfect to earn God's love. Or if I sit over here at the mercies of God's foot and at the foot of the cross, I never change. Okay? Good. All right, so we're going to get ready to close here. As we, as we do, the band's going to come out. But I do want to say this. So when we, when we look at the, the imperfections, we, we read uh, chapter six and seven. So I encourage you to go back and read the whole Romans uh, book. There's so much deep theological truth in there. Don't get overwhelmed with it, but just remember this principle as you read it. Read it. So, so Romans six and seven, Paul's just saying, hey guys, we're not perfect. And you know what that does? That makes me go... I'm not perfect. The other word for that is acceptance. When I accept what is the reality of my life and my existence, I can let go. I can finally surrender. And when I surrender, I go to the foot of the cross because that's always the first step. Because we can't do this in our own power. We can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And when the Spirit is living inside of us and we get stuck in this place of our feelings and emotions and if he's not there, guess what? We're gonna rise back up and wanna do it on our own. Let's stand. can't do it on our own, but there is hope. God has a plan and God has created a place just like this 
just like this church that he's been working on in this continual refinement of the staff, this continual refinement of the community, this continual refinement of the culture. And you know what? Sometimes we have to learn the hard way, right? Yeah. But when we learn the hard way, we have an experience and something to share. And I'll tell you right now, if you're struggling today with any type of bondage, any type of addiction, any type of emotional or relational brokenness in your life, Calvary, because it continues to learn and move forward in this process of sanctification, not just for the church and themselves, have created ministries for you, for all of us, not just to put you in a program, but to help walk you through this process of sanctification. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to the foot of the cross today to receive your mercies. For those of us that are already believers, we stand with open arms. Fill us again. Remind us. Inspire us and strengthen us. But for those of you who have not yet taken that first step of faith to the foot of the cross, that's where this journey begins. And you can stay there for a while just to know how much you are loved by the Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you haven't accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior and you're feeling a prompting from the Holy Spirit, don't let this time go by. If that's you today, just lift your hand up. We want to pray with you. I see your hand in the back. God bless you. I see your hand over to the right. Thank you, Jesus. Over in the back, over to my left. Jesus, we need you. We need a Savior. We need your mercies. Because this world has been destroying me. And I see today, you've shown me today that I can't do this on my own. And so it starts with you. Is there anybody else before we move on? Okay. And for the rest of us, if what the Spirit has revealed to you today and uh, we've described this process of renewing our mind, if I'm stuck anywhere along this place in this journey, or I might even find myself in some of these behaviors that keep creating shame and I need a breakthrough. I want to pray for you today. Is there anybody in this place that's stuck somewhere along that journey that needs prayer? Raise your hand. Yeah. A lot of us. A lot of us. I see your hands. Good. Romans 5, 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we come to the cross for his merciful blessing, but we're also called to carry the cross in merciful obedience. So Father God, we come to the foot of your son's cross whose blood was poured out 
for our perfection that we might enter back into right relationship with you. And we pray for those that are taking this first step of faith. And so we pray together with them. We say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need a savior. So I come to the foot of the cross for your mercies, Jesus. I declare you the son of God. I declare you the Lord of my life. Teach me in this place of mercy that I might come to this newness of mind, renewing of spirit, renewing of relationships, that I might be transformed into the perfection that you have designed for me. And for everybody else, we just pray that we take the step of courage and that first step of courage is to step into the fear of the unknown and the fear of the unknown always has to do with relationships I need to reach out I need to find somebody I need to come back down at the end of the service and and, and meet with somebody to pray with me I need to get connected to rooted I need to find a community that that helps me see my blind spots and accountability so that I might be transformed Thank you, Jesus. Because we look back at our past and our past doesn't have to control us anymore. But when we look back and we see this journey that we're on and we finally get to this place of healing and restoration, I can look back and say, not for one moment, not for one minute, were you not looking at me, God, drawing me to yourself. And not for one moment, was I forsaken?